Hello everyone and welcome to our Velux HF Final Four podcast. Chris O'Reilly here joined by Brian Campion. Hello. Alex Goulash. How are you? And we'll be joined by Rasmus Boysen very soon for the majority of this podcast. But just before we go into our chat with Rasmus, uh, to mention that this is kind of a, a delayed celebration of our 100th episode, which we had a couple of episodes ago. This is 103 overall, but we decided to wait until the women's EHF Euro was over. And yeah, quite a special time to be celebrating this, particularly uh, in the year that we've had, because it's been a weird one. And somehow, despite the pandemic, we kept producing podcasts over the year, which I think is a great testament to the, the three of us and also to everyone who's supported us over the years. So very fitting that we've hit 100 at this time. So thank you to everyone who's uh, supported us over the last 103 episodes, everyone who's been on the podcast as a guest, everyone who's listened from around the world. We've had, I mean, even in the last month alone, people from about 124 countries listening. And uh, so without you, this wouldn't happen. So thank you very much to all of you. And thank you, of course, to Brian and Alex, who've been there throughout it. Uh, We're going to talk about the Velux AHF Final Four, which... Very fitting for 2020 is happening on a Monday and a Tuesday in between Christmas and New Year. The very oddest of times, but exciting nonetheless, and gives us something to actually uh, fill our time with before New Year's. So let's bring Rasmus in and talk about the final four. Rasmus Boysen, he's back again, and this is our delayed celebration of 100 episodes it's episode 103 but we had to get our very first guest back on for this one and also because it is uh hf final four chat there's no better man to speak to so merry christmas rasmus how you doing merry christmas i'm very good thank you good stuff well where should we begin with this one i guess you know it's such an unusual event happening on a monday and a tuesday right in between christmas and new year's this kind of weird week where we usually struggle to find things to do and time just kind of disappears in this black hole. But we've got a final four in Cologne to look forward to. What's your feeling around the event itself? And has it changed a lot since it was first announced earlier this year? Yeah, good question. Um, to be honest, uh, my first impression was that it was kind of weird that we had to play this event um, yeah, without spectators and with uh, the fact that everything's uh, that's going around uh, in the world at the moment. But of course, now uh, I'm looking forward to it and I love like love to see these big matches. Yeah, I find it quite I found it quite difficult to get excited for this these games so far really you know you get the distractions of christmas and it's not you know it's not the traditions of like boxing day football in the uk or something where you're you know this is happening and you look forward to it but this is something that it it, it almost flies under the radar and maybe because we've been focusing on the european women's championship for such a long time that it's hard to get a focus on it but i think 
it is a perfect time for this competition to be held. You know, Brian, you mentioned when it was announced that basically, you know, th- this is the Christmas period. No one's doing anything, etc. It-, it will look really good. And we kind of saw that from the viewing figures for the women's championship, particularly in Denmark. There was, you know, the record viewing figures of 1.5 million-ish viewers on some of the kind of main Danish games. And that's basically because, yeah no one has anything to do right now it's 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 a perfect time so you know this is a good time to you know ramp up those tv ratings uh for handball no but it does feel like to me that it's flying a little bit under the radar at the moment but uh maybe what we could do to to break it down there's a there's an article on the uh, eurohandball.com that break it down by best attack best defense best goalkeeping best bench and maybe x factor as well rasmus is it fairly safe to say that everything we've seen so far that Barcelona have the best attack going into this final four yeah I agree but uh, of course it's the the fact that Palmason is doubtful is of course a big factor um, yeah but when you have like 21 wins in a row <laughs> in the Champions League a new record it's it's just insane yeah, I think like Barca they play like a motor they just uh, attacking 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 and so of course they they have the best attack at the moment I think I think there's a bigger question though about this Barca team and it's whether they for me whether they can actually deliver at this event because over the last couple of years and particularly the last one back in 2019 they were in a similar position I think they were the most outstanding team they had this incredible attacking flow particularly the the counter-attacking was just so deadly and for the first half of that semi-final, they had it on show against Vardar, and then all of a sudden it collapsed. They were completely exposed, and everything fell apart, basically. They, their, their dreams came crumbling down in, in the space of 30 minutes on the court. Has this team actually matured enough over the last year and a half, do you think, to like, actually make the, the form that they've been showing over the last few months, particularly in attack, transfer to these pressure moments at a Final Four? <laughs> it's tough to, to answer because also the fact that does uh, Savi Pascual does he dare to to rest some of the players if they are up with like several goals goals um, because because of the history it's it's tough to say yeah the mental game will, will be a, a factor but I think uh, they have the the squad and the players to do it so we'll see but but um, the fact that they haven't lost in like twenty one games in a row of course is a factor when they when they have to play these big games and one thing that i noticed was it, the game that barcelona got, got tested the most this season was that game against albor and that was that moment that uh, famous cajones moment from uh, xavi pascal <laughs> where the, the pressure was on and someone had to step up and that player that stepped up was Aaron Palmerson. And you mentioned that, of course, he's out for the Final Four, which is a big loss. Is it confirmed? Is he 100% out? I think he's doubtful. Okay, then maybe not in full form. Do you think there's anyone else in this Barcelona team that can show the cojones when they need it? Yeah, of course, I think there's a lot. Like, Sindrich, he, he did it before with Vada play very good and like uh, delivered in in the semi-final against uh, Paris Saint-Germain uh, some years ago and I also think the fact that it seems like the two goalkeepers at the moment both 
Pedis de Vargas and, and also Kevin Müller has, has been very good. So now they have two very good uh, goalkeepers. Uh, yeah, so that's also a very good uh, sign for them. Do you guys think that any other of these three attacks can match what Barca do in, in terms of pure attacking firepower? I think all of the teams have some weaknesses in attack. We've seen that Kiel have been a little bit stop-start. They haven't fully integrated Sagasin. Veshprem really rely on their second-wave fast break. PSG lost Karabatic, but that is an interesting one. And uh, Rasmus, you've talked a lot about uh, the new entry of Luke Steins into that PSG attack. So what, what kind of... You know, what kind of changes has he made to this team? He creates some speed. And I think that that's very important for Paris Saint-Germain because they have players like Mikkel Hansen, like Christopans, Prandi and, and Remeli and all these players, they don't create speed. But uh, when they got a player who can create the speed for them, they got some some good stuff uh, spots uh, to to shoot from distance. So the matches I've, I've seen with uh, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, he creates uh, a new d- dimension of offensively, I think, because he creates that speed. He creates some, um, some uh, creativity. So I think that, of course, it's a big loss to lose Karabatic, but the fact that they've signed uh, Steins on a, on a loan deal, I think it gives them some, some extra stuff uh, offensively. It's funny because like ever since I'd say the season before last, I think when we got you on the podcast, like in a, in a preseason chat, we every time we talk about PSG, it's always they needed to add some speed in the attack, needed to add a bit of pace. And now, you know, through a, a dire situation, losing Karabatic, they managed to kind of get this this guy in on a, on a loan deal, as you said, and. I mean, we saw what he was capable of at international level in January, where he really, like, he gave a lot of headaches to some uh, pretty decent defenses, particularly Germany's in the Euro. Do you think he'll be able to manage it against three of Europe's best club teams? So that's, I guess, a a bigger ask for him. I'm pretty sure he won't be uh, overawed by it, but does he have the quality? Yeah, good question. I, I think he, he has the quality, but I also think the fact that, that now Paris Saint-Germain is in an uh, underdog role uh, could be could be something. Uh, they have had a lot of pressure on them uh, for several years, and now they can go into the Final Four for the first time and just play. Uh, I think that that could be a factor that uh, gives them some hope, but also uh, not that much pressure. But who else do they have a centre-back? Um, it's basically if Luke Steins isn't performing, they have to kind of go back to the the old Michael Hansen in the centre-back or mix and match the backcourt again. Yeah, they've played with uh, two uh, left-handers also with Remili in the, in the middle. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe they'll do that again. Yeah, I, I actually thought that Hansen at centre-back worked um, sometimes, especially when they played seven-on-six. And it, they do have that other option if Luke Steins is a little bit out of sorts. And it, but it, it is good that they basically can have a couple of different options in that attack. They're not just relying on just the the one player to do something. You know, are are we high on PSG? Do do you think that uh, for once, uh, looking from an underdog view, um, we're looking more hopeful? I'm not that high. I think. Um... 
also when we talk about the final four we always talk uh, talks about uh, the goalkeepers and for me i don't think that of course uh, gerard and genti is is very good goalkeepers but for me i think i think it's hard to see them perform uh, on a high level for two matches uh, that makes them for me uh, an underdog crazy to be thinking of PSG as an underdog given everything that's happened over the years you know if they win is it going to be like a fairy tale story like Vardar <laughs> like or Croatia at the Women's Euro I'm not it's, so sure but, uh, <laughs> no it's difficult to get behind isn't it <laughs> we've spoken here in the attack mostly about Barca and PSG and I think that is quite fitting seeing as they're the the first semi-final what area would you look at when you're looking at the other semi-finalists there Vesprem and Kiel you know, breaking it down, like Brian was mentioning there, whether it's attack, defense, goalkeepers, X-Factor, what what area do you think you, you'd find those two teams the strongest? It's a good question because uh, the last time they faced each other, it was like 41, uh, 33 for West Ham. So I think it's a little bit funny that uh, Kiel, they have uh, conceded a lot of goals in some of the matches. And other matches, they're doing a very good uh, job that, uh, defensively. So for me, it's it's kind of... Uh, difficult to to say uh, something about that. Uh, Vesprem, of course, it's a big loss that Lauge is out, but they they have a lot of good players and maybe some other players just can go in and, and perform. Yeah, the second wave is very uh, important for them. Uh, I think I think they lack some creativity offensively, so maybe the second wave is is going to be to be very important for for these uh, two uh, teams. Yeah, and I think with that game in particular, that semi-final, we have seen these teams play uh, very recently, um, twice, and it, you know it's it's slightly different from the other semi-final where we're we're looking at a you know two teams weighing each other up. This is two teams that know each other very well, and it's about who will kind of set up better or, or who will react. So, which team do you think will make? the better changes are you are you getting into the thing here about Yika not being up to the job is this where this is going I feel like this is <laughs> well, I don't know if Rasmus if you saw Alex's tweet a few weeks ago about, about Yika not being up to the job I, I, we, can, we can give you a public stage now to, uh, to give him a rebuttal so, so I'll, I'll just say that I feel like Yika has been outcoached in every big game I feel like Yika he was completely outcoached by Barca and he was basically outcoached by Dav Davies and Vesprem twice. And I'm not I'm not fully down here. I, I think he can bring Kiel to a very, very good level, but to that very top level, I think he might lack a little bit of experience right now for the squad they have. And what other people have said is, you know, you know, oh, Kiel played a big game in the Bundesliga and traveled 300 kilometers two days before, and that's valid. So in this stage, we'll have kind of four fresh teams um, who haven't played for a little bit of time. They're all well-rested after Christmas. So I think it'll be a real test for Yiha to prove that he can kind of turn around. So do you think he can? Do you think he has something in his locker? Just, I just love this that Alex has basically given Yikin no excuses now. <laughs> He's setting him up for failure. It's like a win or bust. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Rasmus. No, but it, of course it's a good point. But 
you have to remember for Kiel uh, at the moment uh, the Bundesliga is most important. Now they have the time for for the Champions League final four to go 100% in it. And um, yeah, I don't know if I think that he has he has been out coached, but uh, of course he's a new coach. Uh, I think he has he has done some good stuff with with Kiel. Uh, but uh, as Alex also mentions, it, they seem a little unstable, and some of the matches they concedes way too many goals. Uh, they have some X-Factor. They have Sargosen now. They have, of course, Duvniak. They have uh, Landin in the goal. They, they have a very solid uh, uh, defense uh, normally <laughs> with Pegela and Viensek. So I think they have the squad to to win, of course. But a match against Vesprem is like maybe 50-50 for me. And in these games in, in Cologne, it's all about uh, one or two players who, who stands out and have the have the match. Uh, I remember last uh, event when uh, Nenadic scored like 12 goals or something like that in the semi-final. We have to see which players who stands out this time. But of course, the the coach also has uh, has a, a, a big job to get them ready. But for me, it's a 50-50 match. Alex, you, you said which coach will adapt better. For me, it seems like that the Kiel will be the team that need to adapt and improve on at least the two games they played against each other. The first one, was that incredible draw, which was perhaps the best game of the season. But the second one was a, a pretty straightforward and comprehensive win for Vesprem. So it, it feels like your question there is is loaded more on the Kiel side and what Kiel need to adapt for that semi-final to beat Vesprem. Do you do you have any ideas what they what they should do? I, I think it it does go both ways because I, I'm sure that Kiel will change something and try to stop that second wave from Vesprem because We've seen it. It's absolutely devastating. And they just, in that first game in particular, they should have won the draw 31-31. Kiel should have won, but they just couldn't slow it down. They couldn't stop the second wave from Veshbrem. So I, I would expect the easy thing to do straight away is for Kiel to slow down the game a little bit. And then it's how Veshbrem react to that whether they still try to keep pushing it, but maybe that second wave doesn't work out as well. What else can they do to react to Kiel? One thing that Kiel keep trying as well is that uh, 3-2-1 defense. And it was really effective at the start uh, when Yiha brought that in last season. But if, for example, against Barcelona, Barcelona scored straight away. They knew it straight away okay, this is coming, we're going to send Makuc onto the line, he's going to receive the ball, and it's going to be a goal. You know, they absolutely destroyed him. So there are a few changes that Kiel have to make, which I think they will. And then it's the next step of what can Vesprem do to counteract that. So it, it's kind of a double action, because I expect Kiel to make changes, but then what will Vesprem do after that? Brian, you had the X Factor down as one of those uh, key topics that was mentioned in the Euro Handball article. What kind of players do you think will actually be able to turn this game on its head? I mean, Nenadic is one that uh, jumps out, of course, based on what he did in the past. But who else are you looking for here? Yeah, you feel like Nenadic is either going to score 12 goals or miss 12 shots. Do you know that kind of way? Uh, but he, he is a character who could, he does seem to rise to the occasion a lot. It's going to be interesting to see who does it for for Barca. Look, Lucas Sindrich, we've seen him do it in the past before, and he normally is a big player occasion, so it could be him there. Will Will Sagasen be completely marked out of the game? I don't know if that's a, a thing you can even do against Kiel. 
PSG, I think probably an X factor in a way. Will, will Luke Steins be able to perform? Do you know, can he perform on the big stage here? It's his big moment. The first Dutch player to ever play at a final four. A big moment for him. So, I mean, there's a lot of different names. I mean, look, their team's all full of superstars. It's very hard to pick just one out. But I think, you know, in a way, Luke Steins could be a big one for PSG. And maybe another weird X factor could be Barcelona playing at home, you know, in an empty hall. So, they'll <laughs> 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 be well used to that. I mean, no, other, no, seriously, other Final Fours, they've had like, I've been at a few of them now, they've had maybe seven fans. And they, I mean, they've never had a crowd behind them. And this time out, maybe it's a little bit more neutral and a, bit, a little bit more in their favour when there's no no uh, mad Vardar fans or whatever shouting against them. They, they, they are the experts of absolutely hammering teams and doing their job for 60 minutes regardless of the situation so whether they're mm-hmm. going to uh, somewhere in the middle of Spain and scoring 40 goals or going to play against Kiel and scoring 40 goals they managed to do it so yeah maybe this like vacuumed final four experience will be uh, will be perfect <laughs> for them and one thing you mentioned there is and we've kind of talked about it a little bit it, it's that you know Sagasin will he be marked out he has been neutralized a couple of times how do you feel Sagasin has fit into the Kiel team so far, Erasmus? You know, what what more can they do with him? Yeah, as you said, he has been knocked out sometimes. Uh, I think sometimes he use, uh, uses a little too much uh, space uh, offensively. It seems like they play a little uh, slower than, than usual. Yeah, what he, what he can do, I don't know. But maybe uh, also for him, I think he's a very good uh, player in the second wave. Uh, when he comes in, in that speed, we know. And uh, of course, he ha- he has already uh, told the world that uh, it's important for him not to think too much in these matches. So <laughs> we'll see if mm. if he can do that. Uh, but yeah, of course, everyone talks about that uh, going into the Bundesliga uh, to one of the biggest teams in the world, it, it takes time to adapt. But I think that, that um, in these big matches, um, He's always a player to count on. And one against one, he's one of the best players in the world. So, of course, if if Kiel can can make some spot for him one against one, it will be, be very exciting to see if, if he can win some of these one against one battles against West Ham, who, of course, have a lot of physics defensively. So, I think that that could be a very big key for the match if, if he can win some of these battles. Which of the defenses stands out to you most? Yeah, I would say West Brand because of the physics they have defensively. But also, I like the fact that we talked about Kiel, that they can both play in the 3-2-1 defense and also the 6-0. So I also like that. But in in this kind of matches, all, all the four all the four defenses is, of course, very good. But for me... West Brem has the most uh, physics defensively. You mentioned the goalkeeper parents before, and you talked about West Brem's defense being the best, but like, would you probably put then Barca's keepers in top form, or where would you put, if you had to put a ranking of the keepers just in terms of pure form, which pairings would you put at top and at bottom? Yeah, probably Barca at the moment. Uh, moment uh, I think Kevin Müller has been so good. I'll put them on top and then Paris Saint-Germain at the bottom. And of course, when you in Kiel have a player like uh, Landin, uh, you're also on the top. But but for me, Barca, they are just a little bit uh, in front at the moment. Kevin Müller, he's just been like a revelation this year, right? It's uh, it's crazy. The final year with the club and now he's been like given... 
I don't know, li more uh, license to, to play, and he's really stepping up big time. Flensburg, really looking forward to getting him next year. Uh, and on a side note, we, we in last week or so discovered that uh, Emil Nielsen won't be going from Nantes to Barca next season. He's going to stay one more year in Nantes. So it means all of a sudden that Barca only have uh, one top-class keeper in their books for next season, which I guess is a, is a topic for another day. But Alex, you've been very excited about Muller as well and uh, this goalkeeper pairing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been interesting to see Kevin Muller basically claim that number one spot. He has kept Perez de Vargas at, at bay. But that also works really well because we know Perez de Vargas is a big time player. He comes in at crunch time and he can deliver at any time. So having Kevin Muller as the primary keeper and then Perez de Vargas when you need him is an absolute luxury to have for, for any team. Uh, and I wanted to mention just um, kind of go in a little bit on Chapara, who has been pretty incredible this season. He's kind of come out of nowhere. It, you know, you wouldn't have called him a top five goalkeeper, top 10 goalkeeper in the world just a couple of seasons ago. He was always very solid. But I know I, I, I follow the Veshman, you know, we follow Maria Lyonitsa and he seems to be in the gym every single day. <laughs> absolutely getting huge and powerful and strong and you can see that translating to his game because he's he has the pure size and now has the speed and a few times this season he has made that you know made Veshman win on his own so it's um I, I would look out for him having a pretty pretty good final four so it's just PSG. Nobody, nobody's giving any love to, huh? And it's I, exactly I, when they win it it's, now as well. It's only, it's only two years ago when Vincent Gerard basically won the final four from Montpellier. But it wasn't that long ago. I, I know he's not, um, he's not, uh, he's not shown like the top top form he has uh, since really moving to PSG. And we've spoken about this in the podcast before. But um, also now that we have all fallen in love with uh, Tia Pijevic, there's also a goalkeeper for PSG who has a similar style. Uh, Jan Janty is also a guy who loves to catch a ball. So it could be the new wave of handball goalkeeping. And uh, Jan Janty, and I think in his mid to late 30s, could, uh, could have a second <laughs> revolution uh, for PSG uh, this coming week. But I think that, uh, you know, Landine... It's a guy who we really have to give a lot of credit to as well this week. I mean, uh, it was mentioned by Rasmus there, but he he too has shown very recently that he can turn a game on its head completely. As you said in the past, Rasmus, the, the final four is really based on the goalkeepers at the end of the day and who has the best form over two days. You only need one goalkeeper to be able to, to be in form over those two days. But I, I like the way that uh, Barca do have two at the moment, world-class options. And as you said, Alex, the Gonzalo Perez de Vargas can be sitting on his arse for the vast majority of the weekend then come in for the last 10 minutes of the final and uh, probably win it for them. So, yeah, a very interesting area. Is there any other particular areas you want to look at, Brian? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the strongest maybe and weakest bench options. I think that's maybe interesting as well. I don't know what you think, Chris, about the strongest and uh, weakest bench options. Well, uh, Vesprem have the uh, probably could fit thirty players in the bench if they if they wanted to, even with the the injury to to Lauga. Probably still is Barca at the moment. Uh, just not necessarily because of the names on the bench, but the way that the the players in the bench can inter interchange so easily, and how Javi Pascal is so willing to switch the players over like clockwork in these games, regardless who the opposition is. 
players are being brought in and out very regularly. So for me, that is a is a great signal of a strong bench. Do you think that Xavi Pascal will stick with the same rotation method? How will the coaches approach? Because it's it's two games in two days, so you need the rest, but you also need to win that first game. Um, I think maybe Xavi Pascual will keep the rotation, but will David Davies kind of rotate wide, or will he just select his seven players? What 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 do you think is the best way to go, uh, Rasmus, in, in approaching a game like this? Barca, of course, it depends if Palmerson is in or out. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be very exciting to see players like Interiors and Enguizan uh, uh, maybe giving some bigger roles. So, of course, Barca, they, they probably, if Palmerson is out, needs uh, to, to do it. And West Bram, they have a lot of good players. I think it makes sense maybe for some of uh, for the coaches to, to try uh, a lot of players uh, in the matches because, like we talked about, you need to find the player on the day who has the, ma- uh, who has the, the match. Uh, and if you play with seven players, it's difficult to find that player. So, uh, yeah, I, I like also the fact that you play two matches in in uh, in one day actually it's it's very uh, it's very tough for the players it's it's a long season so for me um, i think it's it's important to to play with more than seven players could it be a tactic guys as well i mean we're talking about barca and vesprem squads here uh, the depth is objectively there in comparison to their opposition for the semi-finals so if they're looking to play this speedy like in, in barca's case just non-stop flowing handball and in Vesprem's this second wave so the the push is always there in the transition from defense into attack if they're able to keep rotating the players over the 60 minutes could that be the key then staying fresh throughout the game and staying able to go at 100 percent against their opposition which may not have as much depth I think it, it, it could be the key but yeah uh, Barca they've done it before and it didn't turn out that well so <laughs> <laughs> we'll see I think it's a great uh, litmus test on what is better. A large squad like uh, Veshrem and Barca or a more star-filled starting lineup, which you could say Kiel and PSG are. So it's it's a good comparison of the two different styles and we, we can see who comes out um, of those two matchups because we actually have you know, large squad versus stars in both. I do fear, though, just it just popped into my head that we've had this conversation back in 2019 with the final four, <laughs> and then Vardar with their eight and a half players won the thing. So <laughs> 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 the same traps over and over again. <laughs> I just remember saying, just... like, okay, so the two biggest squads are going to face in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the wonderful thing about this event, right? It, it is so. It's so hard to tell. And, you know, the, for, the form of Barca, for example, which should see them as big favorites, kind of goes out the window unless they can deliver at this event, which they haven't done in recent years. And I can hear it in your voice, Rasmus, when you talk about Barca. You're like, oh, well, yeah, they could be leading by seven goals, but they've done it twice in the past. What are they going to do then? I mean, that's the big question. It's really, It's really difficult. But I feel like some of the randomness that comes with this event might disappear without the crowd it might just be more of a pure test of of the things we're talking about now such as squad depth so yeah maybe we're not completely stupid to be talking about these factors (laughs) 
Well, that, that's what was actually my next question to Rasmus. I mean, Rasmus, you've played now in empty arenas and empty halls. Um, as a professional handball player, how, how big of an effect does it have on the squad or those big tournament moments? Do you feel that you're kind of missing that kind of push from the crowd sometimes in certain moments? Yeah, of course. I, I miss it a lot. It's something something completely different. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty individually for the players. Some players, it, it doesn't affect them. Some players, it's it's very good for them because uh, less pressure and so on. And some of uh, the players, it's very bad because they don't have like the mentality to, to give 100% without the spectators and, and all that. So that could also be a factor at the event if if some of the players who are very good at creating some yeah what do you say the mentality is high and you gives everything and all that that's very important to be able to perform in these matches but to be honest i hate playing without spectators for me it's very emotional game but without spectators is not the same and i think that's the same for most of the players so so will any teams be feeling pressure going into this this is kind of a it, it's a weird one it, it doesn't it's not a real final four in, in a way uh, yeah but yeah there's easy. still a lot of you <laughs> <laughs> say the winner of this is not going to be the final four winner <laughs> but, but you know it, it doesn't feel like that there hasn't yeah. been the same kind of build, build up, up to it yeah, um yeah. Where, where the pressure kind of builds on teams expectation builds and mm. but there's still a lot of legacy on the line in terms of you have you know, PSG and Vesprem trying to win their first ever Champions League. You have players like, you know, Hansen and Sagasin going for their first big one. Yiha's first uh, big championship for Barcelona, actually, you know, I, I feel like they might have the least uh, amount of pressure out of all these teams, but they've un- underperformed so many times. So it it all kind of plays around. So do you think any team will be feeling any particular pressure also the fact that uh, you play a new final four in uh, half a year so that's the the fact that they all these teams uh, they have two chances this this time i think uh, will do that the pressure is not that high uh, but i think as i mentioned before that the pressure on uh, Saint-Germain is is very little this this time and i think that that could be a good thing for them. Of course, Vesprem and Paris Saint-Germain, they want to win the first time, uh, but also the fact that uh, Barca uh, haven't won uh, like in five years and the same with uh, Kiel. So, of course, there's some pressure, but the fact that they have another chance this season, uh, I think will will do that the pressure is not that high. What's the answer to your own question there, Alex? Uh, to be honest, I, I, I don't quite know. I think there'll be the the least amount of pressure all around. Now, I, I was kind of thinking more from a player perspective, you know, what, what player would feel the most pressure? You know, I, I've said it before, and Sagason needs to win some trophies for me. So <laughs> but it would be nice. That, that It would be something um, that if, if... That's what I'd like to see. If Sagason can come out huge in this competition, win this come out huge in the world championship win that how how great would that be you know I, i'd like that kind of proving moment so uh, i'm putting a bit of pressure on sagason that's what i'm doing <laughs> i think it's time for him to make our official predictions what do you think yeah so we start predicting the semi-finals first Go semi-final winners that's all what we've got in front of us right now 
before we go big time. Okay, fair enough. Okay. You start, Brian. Okay, I'm going to say Barca to win by four and uh, Vesprem to win by one. Barca, Barca Kiel, Barca Kiel. Uh, I, I feel, I'm feeling Kiel. I'm feeling Kiel. Rasmus? Uh, Vesprem in overtime and then Barca. Vesprem in overtime, nice. Right, and Chris? Yeah. I, I PSG to win it all? Barca as well. So after 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 all the talk we did about PSG, they're still probably not going to do it, which means they're going to win the whole thing uh, in, in reality. And I also think overtime for the other semi-final, but Kiel, I have a yeah, stinky suspicion that Dovniak and uh, Sagerson and Landine were going to have huge games and uh, put them into the final. Okay, so then we'll go for the overall winner uh, and MVP. I think I'm going to stick to what I said a while ago. I think this is the perfect time of the season and the fact that uh, it's such a strange tournament that Barca would beat Vesprem uh, in the final. And then my MVP will be Kevin Muller. Why not? Safe. I'm going really safe this time. I'm not going crazy. I look at the Euro picking <laughs> the, Nether- the Netherlands to win the Euro. I'm going really safe this time. I'm going classic. What do you think, Chris? What are yours? I'm going to go with... Oh, are we all going to go for Barca in the end? That's going to be really bad. Uh, but I'm going to go for Barca to win. <laughs> I think I think it's... I think... Yeah, what, we have to reward form for once. And I think this is the perfect tournament for that. Barca to win and MVP will be Dika Mem. Dika Mem, boy, that's a that's a crazy pick. All right, interesting though. Big game one. player Dika Mem. Big games, yeah, he can do it. Rasmus, your um, then I'm going for Westbrook. I'll, I'll say Westbrook will okay. win it and MVP um, Stabik. No. <laughs> 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 I'm going for Macuela. Macuela. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Big, that would actually, that, would be actually great to see Vesper win it finally, though, because after all that, I mean, it would just be a nice story, you know? Uh, sorry, who did you go for the uh, MVP, Erasmus? Macuela. Oh, Jorge. Nice. Very nice Alex. pronunciation as well. Alex? <laughs> I I just don't see Barso wing it for some reason. So <laughs> I knew you'd say this. <laughs> I am going to go back Philip Yeha back Sandra Sagerson <laughs> Keel to win it Sandra Sagerson MVP <laughs> you've, you've really turned in the last month Alex <laughs> after the heat you took from that tweet you know you're like you'll be wearing a Keel jersey in the next episode <laughs> I do have my Keel jersey I can, I can put it on <laughs> okay very good I can't believe we went an entire podcast without mentioning Janis Christopans. Usually the, the, the beacon of hatred for Brian Capian. No, come on, I've changed my mind now. I've, I've really flip-flopped on him now. He's, uh, <laughs> he's in my good books now. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah it's going to be a fascinating event, that's for sure, whatever happens. Really hard to tell what, who's, uh, who's going to win it. We've all predicted a team except for PSG. So uh, definitely going to be PSG to win it with Christopans as the MVP. <laughs> That's just how it works. But before we leave you, Erasmus, I want to get uh, get a bit of an update on you and your life. Because since the, the last time we spoke to you in the podcast, a lot has changed for you. You had the, the start of the season with 
Elverum and uh, you moved back to Denmark since then. What can you tell us about uh, the end of your time with Elverum, first of all, and the great beginning of the season you've had with Fredericia? Yeah, um, I had a wonderful time in Elverum. Last season was amazing, of course. My first season in, in the Champions League, um, we got a new coach and uh, some new players and my role was uh, smaller. And then I looked at my opportunities, uh, also the fact that uh, the coronavirus uh, did, uh, did the time in Norway in another country a little bit uh, uh, difficult. And then I got a nice offer from uh, Federica in the Danish league, a new team, uh, not a new team, but they played the, it's the second uh, season in, in the league. Uh, after winning bankrupt for some years ago and uh, I got a big role in the team and uh, I think it's a promising project uh, with uh, a lot of uh, spectators not now but <laughs> hopefully in the future and uh, a nice arena and everything and uh, we've uh, played a, a lot of good matches I think and at the moment moment we are placed uh, seventh and of course we need to to be among the top eight teams to go to the playoffs in, in Denmark and that's of course a big dream for us and yeah it's nice for me also to getting closer to my family and and everything so for me it was it was the right right thing to do i think but um of course i miss uh, the champions league and of, of course i miss my old teammates uh, in norway in Ilvom, but uh, of course i i follow them on the sideline and i'm very glad that they have played some good matches i think in the champions league and now have uh, have four points and I of course hope that they maybe could uh, qualify to the next round that would be amazing for the team uh, so uh, at the moment everything is good uh, yeah vacation and uh, <laughs> the final four coming up the the world championship coming up so uh, I'm happy at the moment no I guess not every player would be so proactive in in looking to change things up when they're not getting court time or they feel that they're not not in a position to play so it seems like your your move is purely based on wanting to play handball right and obviously the family issue as well family side of things wanting to be back in Denmark but driven mostly by your desire to play handball and I think that's a very admirable thing uh, since you joined uh, Fredericia they've had a well you guys have had a fantastic run I mean uh, you're probably one of the most informed teams in Denmark at the moment w what position were they in when you joined the club 12th I think 12th so from 12th up to 7th and uh, and one point behind fifth place that's uh, pretty good going and uh, it seems like they mentioned no fans there in, in Fredericia but after all the games like I've seen the videos you've put up on on social media where they're like their fireworks are going off and there's fans celebrating outside the arena. So there seems to be a lot of love for that team from the, the fan base. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Florencia is uh, a handball city. For, uh, they also played like in the Champions Cup uh, final for, like uh, 50 years ago. So it's it's a club with great traditions. And uh, yeah, uh, they have, we have a lot of fans and they are very passionate. And uh, I like that, of course. Uh, so everything is good in, in Valencia. Is the dream for them to uh, be back in the Champions League someday soon? <laughs> Maybe not soon, but of course, we, we all had that dream. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. And Rasmus Boysen, thank you so much uh, for your time, particularly over this Christmas period. Enjoy the final four on Monday and Tuesday and enjoy the rest of your Christmas break. And we'll talk to you very soon. Yeah, thank you. See you guys. Take care, mate. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.
So that was episode 100, kind of, of the Underformed Handball Hour. And at the top of the hour, Chris O'Reilly thanks myself and Alex for all the work we've done. But of course, you have to thank Chris O'Reilly for the immense effort he puts into the podcast, editing every single episode of the podcast. So fair play to you, Chris. Thanks very much for all the work. That's episode 100. We hope you enjoyed it. Here's to another 100. We'll see you. We'll see you soon. Yeah.